this episode of Agile After Dark, we try to hold ourselves together as we get some of our MVP podcast contributors and discuss building great teams, whether it's Agile, sports, or otherwise. We had fun with it, and we certainly hope you do too. Welcome to Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses agile topics not talked about in the light of day. I'm your host, Greg Adams Whitford. I'm here, and over there is my co-host, Brandon Gartley. Scoring touchdowns. Okay, now we also have a couple of guest hosts, and that includes one Danny Dojo, who, by the way, made us late. So we're going to see how that works out. But he fancies himself as not only a uh, agile coach, but a sports coach and a ladies' man as well on the side. <laughs> and Steve Thomas, Stephen Thomas. All right, before we get the intros going way too long, how about we get into what we're talking about today there, uh, Mr. Co-host? Okay, I don't know what we're doing. Okay, so we are actually talking about bidding teams over individuals. A new type of MVP, which I think means most valuable player. It is. It is. It one. I think you know uh, we wanted to build on the kind of the the agile you know uh, manifesto. It's like over, so not instead of individuals, right? Talking about building teams over individuals, not getting rid of individuals, but teams is kind of where it's at. This is kind of what we deal with on a on a day to day basis uh, at any level, right? So. Uh, so we kind of built on that and had a little fun with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, we're going to, between um, all of us, talking about kind of the concept of teams and, uh, you know, the MVPs within those teams has uh, kind of changed versus what it had been in the past. So, Brandon, when you talk about teams, in history, teams are typically a group of people who have a like-minded cause or objective. How does that change in the modern age where we're talking about software teams, we're talking about marketing teams, what, I mean, how is that different than what it was in the past? Well, I think I want to get into that by first, I'm going to do a little, my little nerd thing here, but not the normal agile nerd thing. Here we go. Not the normal agile thing. I'm going to go a little sports nerd here on you. All right. So, uh, even though he was a Lakers and Knicks coach, the great Pat Riley, fantastic leader, um, he wrote a great book called The Winner Within. And he has a lot of great quotes from the book and, and different interviews. But one of his quotes uh, really hit home with me about teamwork. And this is what he said. Teamwork is the essence of life. And teamwork is an interactive relationship whereby all of us are either hired or brought together for whatever reason to get a result. It is the essence of life and family. It is the essence of life in sports. It is the essence of life in business. In order to be successful as a group of people, the dynamics of of being a team are all the same. People have to come together for the common good. God, I feel like weeping right now. Yeah. But I think that really does... Yeah, Danny's... Yeah. Tearing up. A little choked up. Tearing up. Right? But I mean, I think... I I really did appreciate that quote and that, you know, it is a great book. I I highly recommend reading it, but um, kind of that common good is something that didn't exist in terms of the command and control uh, versions of software development. It was, we have to get these metrics. Is not the common good of everyone in the organization. It was the common good of what's the bottom line for the overall company, right? And I think that you can still make a lot of progress in terms of delivering 
working software or working stuff or whatever it is, if you actually have good sense of teamwork and a vision that you're going towards. And I think that that, that quote really meant a lot for me. But I think that I kind of want to start with where we're engaging teams a lot, which is either they've come out of that waterfall that I talked about, that command and control, right? Or they have basically been doing agile to some respects, right? But they're still trying to figure it all out. Well, so I'm not the biggest, I mean, I'm a big sports fan as it relates to any team from Denver. However, you know, I, I haven't, you know, had a lot of experience with sports teams. So I, I'm sort of interested in knowing when this, when a team, let's just take football, for instance, or like World Cup, there's always, or Premier League, there's always a championship. There's always something that the team can focus on moving towards that's a single goal for the whole team. And it's very clear of what that is. And it's, it's simple. In business, it's not always that simple. And it always isn't getting a trophy at the end. It may just be, we just got where we needed to go. So how, how do you like reconcile those two things together? And I put that to both Brandon and, and Danny. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I think there's different approaches to that, right? And I think, you know, you have a lot of different coaches. So we're coaches, right? There's a lot of different approaches to that. There is the, I will command and control every single aspect of every single thing to ensure that my, the way that I see things should be done. So kind of like Belichick is what you're saying? No. Actually, I would not agree with that at all. Of course you <laughs> wouldn't because he's just no, – Danny, chime in here. My friends from Denver, and I feel like Greg might punch me across the table right now. All my friends and family back in Denver are going to hate me for this one, but Bill Belichick is actually the perfect example of a coach that has been able to get all of his players to buy into a completely different mindset. What Bill Belichick does is he'll take players that have been in the league – four or five time all-stars league MVPs and really get them to break down their ego, like drop their ego for the good of the team, common goal, common cause. And he gets all these really high level players to really operate as a single unit, single team. Um, He's probably the prime example of someone as, as a coach that's able to really break down, um, I guess the mentality of his players and really get them to flip that switch that you might say to have that more team oriented perspective as opposed to like i'm the mvp on this team i own this team what's well, the interesting part is because i would say his his main mentor bill parcells was exactly the opposite bill parcells was the this is the way that i'm doing it and this is the way it needs to get done and i'm i am the person that everyone's looking at and the rest of you have nowhere to step into that yeah so what i just heard the both of you said i own the team and you just said i'm in charge so is that what a good coach is no, this is well. You just both said that. No, no, no. I'm not saying. I mean, Bill Barcelos certainly has has had his success, but he also had a lot of good people that were working under him. So he may have been very good at identifying the good talent. So he had Bill Belichick, who worked for him, right? Like as defensive coordinator, who just basically lived and breathed and basically said, "I will follow you wherever." And Belichick did horrible at Cleveland. You he know did. why? Well, and I would, I would just, just go no, it was Cleveland. Yeah, well, it was Cleveland. <laughs> but, but Steve from Ohio. Steve is from Iowa, <laughs> so Ohio, so we know. But, but I was going to say is, yeah, he did fail. But isn't that a part of the experience in coaching? Is that you can't? There's no silver bullet, 
right? It's it's figuring it out, right? And I, I know we're going to kind of get into this more and more, but that's part of it, right? Yeah, and I think it's it's you know, some of it is, I think in a previous podcast with actually with Danny where he said, you know, when uh, Peyton came to Denver, that coach had a particular system that he ran, and he said, this is what I'm going to run because this is the way that I I know to be successful. And for me, that's kind of the the waterfall. I know I'm going to control all of these things, and this is like the the pattern that I see, right? Versus being adaptable to say, hey, the, one of the most important people that I have on the team, and is a multiple multiple like MVP winner. He run he runs out of the shotgun. He's not going to be under center, right? Absolutely, and I think you see that in our in the software development world as well. You see scrum masters that are so by the book. Like, we have to run 15-minute stand-ups. We have to, like, every single thing that's a little bit off-topic, we need to take that offline. Just so by the book with all of their ceremonies, like, black and white, boom, boom, boom. So that, that's one style of coaching. Then on the flip side of that, you have some of your agile coaches and scrum masters are like, hey, if there's a valuable conversation happening in the stand-up, let's go ahead and let that run. Let's let that continue. We don't need to cut that off, force them to take that offline. There's a little bit more of a flexibility and really understanding you know, there, there's an art to some of this and, and coaching coaching your team to really w- realize the value in some of these conversations and the ceremonies. And so two completely different styles of coaching for, for these teams. Yeah, and to build on that, I mean, I think to, to, to bring back the idea of, okay, we're transitioning from waterfall to agile, right? What are the best coaches? So we've kind of talked about we have coaches that, you know, they're command and control. We have coaches that basically encourage the whole team concept. But what are the ones that are really good in terms of we have either a toxic environment or, you know, things, you know, haven't worked out, but we have some good, you know, good components and so forth. I mean, Pat Riley, to be honest with you, I mean, when he came into the Lakers, they had some good components, right? But he made, you know, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar work with Magic, who was a rookie, right? Who basically was flashy and all, and they had all this flashy stuff. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was like the opposite, of flashy, mm-hmm. right? So one of the one of the analogies that I frequently use with like a waterfall team is that they have come from an environment where instead of thinking themselves as like a basketball team or something that has to be tightly integrated, they thought of themselves as we're a team, but it's a, like a wrestling team or a diving team. Mm. Each one of us has our specialties, and their coach has helped us individually and given us kind of a team camaraderie, but that's that's the extent of it. And so as a coach working with a team that's transitioning from a team of specialists, superstar specialists, which requires one type of coach, into a, te- a team that's really has to work together in a tight fashion, how would you expect, uh, how are you gonna help those people make that transition? I love that comparison. So uh, an old, an analogy that we can use for an, uh, a basketball team here, the old school, like the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe, let's say, for instance. Back then you oh, had Kobe. Kobe. You, Shaq and Kobe. Greatest player of all time. <laughs> oh, my God. Here we go. Greatest player of all time. Better than Michael, for sure. <laughs> so back then you would have a, a, a center, Shaquille O'Neal, right? He, he was really one-dimensional. He would get down on the block. He was pretty much just running guys over and dunking. That was his one role on the floor. You have guys like Derek Fisher, he was just pretty much shooting threes, kind of like what you're saying, Steve, like specialists in a way. 
that was the more the, the older mentality of the NBA. Today, you have a really cross-functional team. You have guys like Kevin Durant that can play any position on the floor. Essentially, if one person goes out, there's another guy on the bench that can come in and do the exact same thing and pick up right where they left off. I think you're starting to see that a lot more now in, in the agile environment. We want to build those cross-functional teams. If someone misses a day at work, they go on vacation, there's someone that's right behind them that can pick back you know, right where they left off, essentially. Yeah, and so I think that's a good break for us right now because we want to kind of talk about the kind of the team makeups and working together. I just want to add one more thing before we oh take the break. My like, I'm just saying, how can you like? We're talking about mostly developers here, the most unathletic, un sports <laughs> like, and we're trying to compare them to sports team. Really, are we really doing that right now? Craig, I know some all-star cricket players that are on a couple okay. of my teams right? Right. and table tennis all-stars. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah, put it yeah, that way. Absolutely. Just, I don't want well, to talk about that. I mean, I, and I think it, it, to your point, because even though you really interrupted me in my going into break, <laughs> um, is that, you know, it's it's about the essence of being part of a team, right? And it's in and how it used to be, even in, in, in whether it's professional sports, any other sport, you know, it used to be, hey, look at me. Look at, you know, I, I'm worried about what I'm doing. And there are still instances of that, and we'll talk about that later. But the fact that where we're going now with the teams that we're developing within an agile framework is we have to understand how we're going to work together as a cohesive unit. And the ones that are the most successful are the ones that are kind of in a parallel to the teams that we look at at professional or any other level that are on a sports level because those are the ones that really thrive. Right, so that's kind of where we're trying to go with that, and uh, so don't interrupt me again, ever. And uh, we'll go to a commercial break. But wait, before we say that, if you have feedback on this contentious relationship that I have with my co-host, send any feedback to feedback at after after or agile after dark. Just just send your feedback somewhere. Just go ahead and do it. Just, I'm going to try to be a team. I'm going to try to be a team. <laughs> I'm going to try to be a team. Okay. Right. Great great job, Greg. It's feedback at agileafterdark.com. Okay. Okay. Thanks, That's guys. That's good. That was a Brian Mitsubishi foul ball. Just out of curiosity, what, what analogy are you going to make? Like, hey, you just shut up. You don't ball. ask any questions. You just perform. <laughs> God damn just you. show up and show up and do it. That's right, dance monkey, dance. <laughs> you had a chance to ask. Brandon's bug. He's like, "Come on, let's get on track." Wait a minute. What time is it now? What waterfall analogy? No way to joke right now until I get upset. <laughs> there's, so no, there's no hangry here. This is gonna be a very. Are you recording? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is gonna be a very interesting podcast, by the way. Because I am like, I'm great. I'm are you, are you lit? I'm lit. Brandon's lit. I'm hey, lit. That's what this podcast is about. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> all right. We're back from break uh, after being a little ridiculous. Uh, but that's kind of how we roll. And uh, as usual, we kind of want to, it's Agile After Dark, kind of want to talk through what we're having to, to drink tonight. Uh, Danny's drinking nothing because, you know, he's on creatine. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I actually brought out an oldie but goodie from past podcasts, which is the two brothers, Dumaine Dupage, French country ale, because it's just that good. Thanks, Steve. Great recommendation. Steve, what'd you get going? Uh, tonight I'm doing, uh, Jim Bean rye whiskey. 
Uh, hey, a little Tennessee, a little Tennessee coming out. Steve, let me ask you a question. So you don't drink wine prior to two to three years after it's bottled. Is that correct? Two, yes. Two. Okay. Just wanted to make that clear because you shamed me the other night at the restaurant and I didn't not notice that. Okay. So just so you know, don't, 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 don't try to defend yourself. It. Don't, I know you don't, but you know what? It hurt me. And again, another self-loathing tag is about to happen. I'm just drinking vodka, okay? So let's just get to it. Vodka and what, Greg? No, uh, no, 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 you can't go with just the vodka. Uh, cranberry. Juice. Yeah, a little, little, little cranberry, right? Yeah. All right, anyone watching The Party, they know what I'm talking about. All right, so as we were talking before the break, you know, the teams that we're running into, having issues whether they're coming from Waterfall or already doing Agile, um, kind of some of the things that they're running to, we want to get into some of the specifics and one of the first thing we want to talk about is kind of the team makeup and how they work together. Obviously, we have product owners, we have scrum masters, and kind of the team members. And one of the first things that I kind of want to get into is, you know, where they get the most value out of ceremonies. And, and I'm going to quote one of my favorite basketball players that unfortunately is not doing well anymore, which is Allen Iverson, which is we're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. How important are the ceremonies? We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. Right? Practice? Practice? Are we talking about practice? Right? right. So I, I leave it to, to the group here to, to say, you know, are we just talking about practice? Or, you know, where, where are we really getting the values of the stuff that we're doing together? So practice is about building muscle memory. Just you know, doing it over and over again. And then, but you can, the teams, particularly the teams coming from Waterfall, they will only put their heart in it if they understand why you're doing it. So you, a lot as coach, you're talking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Over and over again. And at the same time, enforcing, yes, we are doing this. I don't care if you like it or not. I agree with that, Steve, 100%. So <clears throat> I think some of the best coaches will reinforce that it's the little things, the boring things, the, the tedious things, the little details that you work on every single day that's what makes the great team so that, you know, how are you executing your stand-ups? You know, that, that's something that we have to, no one wants to do a daily stand-up, but if we can do that well every single day, we can make commitments in front of our team, we can talk about blockers and what, you know, what did we achieve yesterday? Those are the things that we get good at those, the team starts to build momentum, you know, those mm -hmm. really small tasks. No, I think it is, and it all comes down to what's the value? You know, value? If, we're, if we're just doing Agile versus being Agile, why, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, whether it be stand-ups, uh, showcases, you know, even backlog grooming. You know, if we're just kind of just running through the motions, particularly retros, right? Talk about one of the ceremonies that always gets knocked off the block for most teams. There's like, I don't want to talk about my feelings. Like, what? why are we talking about what happened over the last whatever time of the iteration? I don't care. Like, yeah, I'll just sit here and be like, yeah, that didn't go great. That went great. Okay, what's next? You know, it's another version of the postmortems on the, the waterfall projects, right? Because we had to, like, check off the box and say we did our postmortem and we're not going to apply it to anything we did before. So what you're asking, what you're saying is talking about your feelings or how you're emotionally responding to a period of time or interactions is as important as <clears throat> what was done from a an accomplishment as a team. Is that what you're saying? I think it is, but you have to have action items out of it. I think that's one of the biggest things that's lost in retrospectives is, okay, we've talked about these things that worked well that didn't at various levels, but what are we going to do about that? Right, right. So, And I, 
I struggle with the feelings part of it as well. And so, because that's, you know, come from more of a science and data, you know, point of view. And so I get it as a developer, you know, I don't want to talk about feelings, you know, but you can talk about, okay, what's work, even from a science point of view, say what's working well, what's not working well. And you're right. You're perfectly right, Brandon. It's about what experiments are we coming out of this? What changes are we going to try? Not that we can, you know, carve in concrete or, you know, uh, but we can say, all right, we can try this, you know, and then we can gather more data. And I think that's a big like thing in terms of the we, the we, 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 not, well, that sounds kind of bad. We, we. But the, <laughs> but the we, not the we, 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 but the we, like what as a team, you know, it's not, not me individually when I'm talking about what we're going to do. We're talking about like us as as a group, and you know I think again going back to the the sports analogies I think you know it, uh, Danny definitely has some experience with that. So one of the big things we love to pay attention to as coaches, how many times do our players say the actual word we versus I? We've actually we've had times where we've tallied we we have a sheet of paper in front of us, one column has we in front on it, the, the other column has I. We'll tally up. How many times are our teammates saying we versus I? We want to shift love that. We want to actually shift that mentality. If they're saying I too many times, that's a big indicator. We need to start working on their team mentality. How can we start to break down the, this I mentality, the ego, and um, that big component? And I know we talked I. about kind of yeah, the, the mm-hmm. role of the scrum master. Cause we're talking about the different roles within this. So the role of the scrum master is mm-hmm. kind of being that on-field coach, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And Absolutely. I, yeah, and I think you, know, you and I have talked about that before. Absolutely. Um, I mean, so a great example of an on-field coach, one of my personal favorite players, I'm going to say LeBron James. So when LeBron James is on the floor, he's a natural extension of the head coach. So Tyron Lue, now I don't even know who the head coach is in Los Angeles right now. (laughs) But um, LeBron is the coach on the field, and that's what your scrum master is, like an extension of what uh, comparable to – the, the, the development manager or your director an extension kind of carrying forward the same ideologies the same messages and building that team camaraderie so yeah and I think so and I think the kind of the idea of you you mentioned Kobe before I have to give him a little bit of credit you know in his in his latter days when he didn't have the best players that he's playing with you know he was still trying to coach you know he wasn't in championships you know I'll bring up Tom Brady you know, because Patriots guy, I'm just going to put it out there. You know, I mean, you if you've ever seen any of the behind the things terms and we were, you know, Greg was trying to talk to me about, you know, Belichick being a command and control. It's actually the opposite. Like he and Brady, like literally sit down on a regular basis every week to like review the defense. So um, I, I think that, you know, that that idea of kind of the we mentality and having the scrum master as a coach on the field is uh, is really important. So what happens in the case, if you're talking about Tom Brady being a the, team guy, the Tom Brady, terrific Tom, hunky Brandon, right. um, that's another. I you know if you don't if you want to know what that hunky Brandon thing is about, I encourage nay demand you to go back and listen to fr- last episode which we talked about that. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you have a John Elway in the '80s who basically didn't have a team around him? Who carried the entire team on his back, Sammy Winder? What what happens in those cases where you're trying to build a team, but really it is one person who's trying to carry 
the whole team on their back. I mean, what do you do in that situation? No, I do think it's interesting where we've been talking about football because there's two sides of the football equation for me, which is 11 players all basically have to be in in synchronous, right? They basically all have to understand the same things of how they're doing everything, right? But there's kind of that interesting part of that in terms of the quarterback because similar to baseball with a pitcher, right? They kind of have the ball in their hands every single offensive play. And so that is always kind of an interesting thing when you think about natural leaders on teams, right? And we're going to talk about MVPs on or we're talking about development teams. You know, sometimes there are those natural leaders that come out of the teams, but it's not necessarily because they're the ones that know the most. Sometimes it happens that way, but sometimes it is the person that can, we talked earlier about being the glue, right? We were joking about, you know, Steve, like being the glue on a team that, you know, he uh, didn't really particularly enjoy, but sometimes it is not necessarily the one that always has the thing in their court, right? But sometimes it is. Sometimes naturally it goes that way. If you have a lead developer as an example, right? Well, and that's what I was thinking because those people tend to, those people tend to run the conversation. And if you, especially if you have, uh, you know, not a co-located team, or even if you have a co-located team that has, for instance, a multicultural, you know, makeup, you know, you're, you're going to have different personalities. You're going to have people who are going to be less interested in contributing in a vocal way. And then that just leads to one person driving every decision making. And that's a, it's a real problem. It is a problem, and I, I totally agree with that. And this is where we're kind of talking about the new type of MVP, right? Which is, is that it's the the team over the individual. And and, and and to be to be perfectly fair, it's not always the individual's fault. We talked in the last podcast about IO psychology. We're talking about performance management, mm-hmm. right? Yep. yep. Where it's, hey, hey, you, how many widgets did you get for us? Has been the traditional way of looking at performance management. So if I'm like. Anywhere in the realm of being, how do I help myself, help my family, make sure I have a job, make sure I get a raise, make sure I get a promotion. If we're still stuck in those ways, this is, we're talking about the outliers, really, right? And it's and it is hard for us as coaches to sell this. I think. And, and when we're talking with teams, that's one of the reasons that that I actually shy away from using the analogies from American football, yeah. and I pr- prefer to use American basketball or or soccer. Um, American football, there uh, there is a lot more specialization, and you, in fact, you have sub teams. I mean, when you look at wide receivers, they're measured. Their measurement is, okay, so how many touches of the ball did I get? And they're always campaigning for, I need more touches. I need more touches. And it's not necessarily to the benefit of the team. And the important thing is, offensive linemen and defensive linemen probably make the difference in yep. almost every single yep. football game. And they Bingo. have no – well, defensive linemen do. But offensive linemen have no stats. Right. Let's talk about wide receivers a little bit. So Terrell Owens. I want to see what you all think about having a Terrell Owens on the team. So Terrell Owens, best athlete on the field – Really well known for being one of the greatest receivers of all time. So he's probably your MVP on that particular team. But what happens when your MVP is also the biggest anchor on the team, the biggest negative force on your team? How do you handle that? Yeah, and and I think we probably all four of us have run into that in any particular situation with any team that we've ever worked with or been on, Mm -hmm. right? Which is... You look to the person that says, oh my gosh, either they know what we're doing the best or they 
are out there the most because Terrell Owens is kind of the combination of both, mm-hmm. right? Um, and naturally, and we and we talked about cultural differences and stuff. You know, there's you know certain cultures that it's like let's be a little bit demure, more demure. <laughs> but we talked in the last podcast about emotional intelligence. Doesn't mean necessarily that if you're introverted, you're not the most you don't have the highest emotional intelligence, right? So there are components of it that I think are very interesting. And that's why I wanted to talk, you know, I think it's good for us to have this conversation now because, you know, I think, you know, we're trying to look at a new type of leader, right? And so, <laughs> Greg's going to laugh at me, but and I think this is very true. So in this, in you know, recently, Tom Brady won the MVP of the league, right? But he went to the Super Bowl and he lost. Which do you think he would actually have preferred? He would have preferred to win that Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Yep. He 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 has no care in the world that I had all these stats, and I you know it was better in stats. And all of a sudden, the league voted me this, and in, in the truth, I would think he would prefer more that his team voted him the MVP and won the Super Bowl, right? Like that would be for him what what is the ultimate goal of what he does, and the, the reason that he does that as a leader, he also does it by example. He's the first one in. You hear it all the time. He's the first one in. He's the first one out. Like last one out, right? Like he's the one that everyone's like. Even though he is this superstar, he is he acts like he's trying to work for his job, right? And so that for me is kind of. Now I'm saying that anyone on a, on a development team needs to be like the first one at the office and the last one that leaves, and that's not not what I'm trying to say. But it doesn't need to be the person that's like the most vocal or the one that says, "Look at me, I made the most widgets." Right, so that's kind of an interesting point in terms of how that works from a sports analogy. And that football is—I totally agree with you. Football is a tough one, and I do agree. Basketball is actually a lot better because with five people on the court, right? You, right? you have to act as a team, and you have to be more cross-functional. You have to yep. play all different roles: the offense, defense. You, know, you like what we talked about before. It's not about the specialization in the role; it's about you know, being interchanged. To having your skill set, knowing what that is, but being able to step into whatever role is needed by the team at that time. You are, you are on the flip side of that. You have someone like James Harden, the, the NBA's MVP this last year. Mm-hmm. This guy had crazy amount of stats, and his mentality is more, I would rather win the MVP as opposed to get a, get a championship ring, right? So we, we have there, – there's – team members like that out there too you know you have mm-hmm. certain developers there i mean once they finish their their function they they finish a feature it's kind of like you know my hands are or they wiping finish, my hands they off finish their story and they're like let's go to the next story but, on the board but why why do you yeah. think that that mentality exists is because <clears throat> again they don't see the vision which is our team has a vision and a goal that is concrete they're they're focused on those individual stats because they're like I don't really necessarily have a shot as a team of making that goal, whatever that is, because it's unclear. And in a business perspective, that's one of the biggest problems that you have with teams is you don't have a clear vision about what is this team trying to accomplish? You know, and so I think that's part of it, too, is like people tend to go individual sometimes because like you, when you mentioned T.O., I thought about you doing curls in the, um, you know, the driveway of the uh, apartments here uh, like T.O. did. But um, but, you know, for the most part, it's like I think people fall into that when they don't really know what the team goal is and they don't understand what achieving a team goal means. They, they go, hey, I'm 
going rogue, doing my own thing, because I know the team isn't that good, but I know I'm good. And then that makes that just accentuates the problem with the team because the team didn't feel we're not as good as that person. And then the team just suffers more and more. Then, you know, maybe that's, I don't know, you guys can, you know, respond to that, but that seems to be a. No, I mean, I, I think that's right. I think that, you know, we talked about that kind of that citizenship in our last podcast, yep. right? Yep. You know, in terms of it, us as a, as a team, we have a clear vision of what we're trying to do. We have, you know, we basically feel like we can say, we can push back, right? That's part of the one thing that I think that misses is that, you know, a lot of teams, they, they're, as we talked about, transitioning from waterfall to agile, right? Like that whole command control to, to waterfall, excuse me, command control to agile, right? Is that they're like, well, we're so used to people basically saying, do this, do this, do this, and this. And, and they've always complained about it because trust me, in the, in the waterfall, they definitely complain about it, right? But they're, they're sitting there and saying, well, now that we're doing this agile thing, yeah, it's kind of like they're trying to do something different and it's really not going to change, A, number one. B, we have no way to go back and say this is actually going to work, right? I agree with you, Greg. So I, I, there's a lot of scrum masters, or rather product owners out there, they're not generating sprint goals for their team. I mean, we don't have to talk at a huge, you know, three a roadmap level. If we're talking about the sprint level, I've seen a lot more scrum masters not posting that that sprint goal above the scrum board. You know, I mean, something simple like that. If the team can just walk in every single day and say, "Okay, there's our sprint goal," like hanging up above the, the scrum board. It's kind of like Notre Dame having yeah, their, touch the banner. Yeah, you touch the banner. Boom. Boom. That, you're touching yeah. that as you're walking out of the locker room every yeah. single day. Yeah. If you don't, you don't have that vision, how do they know what they're really trying well, to achieve? And, and, for that sprint and way before this agile thing became anything people were saying we're a team if one of us fails we all fail that's been you know through the the test of time throughout history it's if one of us fails we all fail everybody needs to prop up the person who may need you know support and they may need support forever or they may need support for a short period of time but we as a team know that we fail if one person fails, right? And that's, and again, you have exceptions to that. But but I think that mentality of going into it is like, we're not letting any of our people fail. We are, we are going to succeed regardless of what we're given, right? And that's, everybody has that challenge in a professional setting where you have somebody who's given to you, who's assigned to you that you didn't want or you don't like, or you may have a political disagreement, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. They're on your team now. And you have to figure out how to make sure that, that that there's continuity with that person on the team, especially as a manager. You have to make sure that team has a has a consistent understanding of what the goals are, because it doesn't matter. Life doesn't deal you, you know, the best cards, right? And it's the same thing with a sports analogy. You they, you draft in some people; they're good. Sometimes they're not. You trade; sometimes they're good. So I mean, it's just you you have to work with what you have, which I hate to say, Belichick always does bastard yeah yeah well, i know i mean I, I know it's a little tough so uh i think uh along those lines given that i got a little belichick love from greg i want to say that we're gonna take a break real quick uh but uh if you want to send how belichick's the best coach in the nfl ever or any other feedback and suggestions uh send it to feedback at agileafterdark.com Welcome to Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses agile topics not talked about in the day of light. 
I'm your host. <laughs> damn light. I said damn light. Sorry. <laughs> That, that, too, that too. That too. <laughs> that too. Take two. That sounds like a, like a Star Wars reference. Right. Or the Day of Light. <laughs> I know. And I had the voice for it as well. The All right. Day of Light. All right. Here we go. Uh, we're back on Agile After Dark. We're gonna we're talking about, um, you know, how teams and individuals interact. What's the positive? What's the negatives as it relates to um, how we interact as teams? And so, one of the things I, I'm interested in is team morale. Obviously, is something that is critical, and everybody talks about it. And HR departments are built around it. And there's a lots of there's games and there's scenarios and there's all these things. There's hundreds of them out there in somebody's bag about how to get teams working together. Um, but you know what ends up happening is they use tools to you know you know basically define their work. Yeah, and I you know. I, I, from the morale side, I, I think it's an interesting thing to look at, which, by the way, our friends at Agile Uprising, uh, our buddy Andrew Leff, uh, talked through kind of the differences and components of the recent uh, version uh, 112 annual state of Agile. Um, and for that, the reasons for adopting Agile, only 28% voted that it was to improve team morale. So I thought it was really interesting. Wait, so say that again. Twenty. So only 28% voted that the reason they were doing Agile transformation was to improve team morale. What were, what were the other categories that were? Well, it's kind of interesting you say that because um, improved business IT alignment was fourth at 49%. Uh, tied for fifth was enhancement, uh, enhanced software quality and enhanced delivery predictability. And a couple below there, those was uh, at seventh was reduced project risk, which in my mind all really directly relate to the teams and how they affect the company overall, right? So if you don't have good team morale, you combine all those things together, and they're actually higher than any of the other pieces that you know were part of that study. And if you want to, you know, if you want to find out more about what was saying that, you can either go look at study. But I do encourage you to go to the Agile Uprising podcast for that because they do really dissect it really well but I, th I think it's really weird that to me team morale would be something that is as a human being most important for me when i come to work every day i want to know that i'm contributing that i'm valued and that would be like because so many times the company goals or the whatever are so cloudy yeah. and like you don't really know what they are anyway so how do you really measure yourself against that I think from a team perspective and an individual perspective, that is important. But so often, I mean, the stated goal of why we're doing this, you know, comes from management. And, you know, basically, you it's very clear the message comes down of we don't care about we're wanting to improve productivity. We're wanting to improve performance we're wanting to get stuff out faster i don't really care if you feel better yeah and that's the big thing that, that that's I'm, we haven't actually touched on this in any previous podcast i think it's really interesting is that agile equals faster is like the thing that just kind of yep. really like makes me my screen yep. my skin mm. crawl Absolutely. right because yep. 
if you listen to any of our previous podcasts, it's, that's what it's not. That is not what it's about. It's right. It's like getting stuff to your consumer that's actually asking for things, reacting to that, getting it to them sooner, making sure the teams are feeling engaged, feeling like they're actually part of something, feeling enjoying their work, right? Because you're going to get higher productivity out of those teams. And that's what we're talking about morale, right? So all those things kind of fit together. And we've kind of touched on some of these things in the previous podcast, but that, that, that thing of like faster and agile, mm-hmm. I hear it all the time and it just, it, I get it. I get it from a number, but it's, it is from that old school, you know, how many widgets, it goes to the performance management stuff too. How many right. widgets have you provided? It all kind of fits in together and it just, it's fascinating to me, but it's also really frustrating. Same. Wait, read your nerd stats again. What was, what, because I, I just, I can't believe it. I literally can't believe that people are not more interested in their own emotional state than the company vision. I can't version one, twelfth annual state of agile, which just came out yep. very recently. Have responses for the reasons for adopting agile. The reasons for adopting agile, only twenty eight percent voted that was to improve team morale. And they could vote for multiple options. Yes, right. Absolutely. So, and I have some so I think the good code in, in terms of team morale, there, there's an acronym, KYP, it's Know Your Personnel. So if we, as coaches, we can understand our, the skill set of our team, their personality, some of their limitations, what, what makes them tick, what's some of their motivation, right? Um, and then start to build the team. So one thing that Phil Jackson would do with the Lakers to in order to improve team morale, he would get two players that he knew didn't like each other and purposely send them off to like go watch a movie. Go do an activity together. You two kind of bond up. And so he wanted the team to really get on a personal level with each other. You know, they can ask simple questions like, how's the family doing? You know, how was your trip with, you know, down to Mexico, whatever it might be. So I think a big part of it is building the individual relationships within the team. That will improve team morale, helping them work together. Yeah, it's really interesting to talk about Phil Jackson because, again, going back, we're going to go back to Pat Riley because he had a, he had a really interesting um, quote on this, which is especially about coaching teams as coaches. Like going to the work that we do. He said, the only way you are ever going to come together for the common good is through trust. It's even more than belief. Belief isn't, isn't enough. You simply have to get to a point where you trust one another in their motives, in their approaches, in their games, in their idiosyncrasies, and their personalities, and what they bring to the table, and not be judgmental as a coach or a teacher or as a parent. Right. And and then he kind of goes on. It's like no student, no player, no child will ever let you coach, parent or teach them unless they trust that you're absolutely sincere, competent and reliable. Well, and, but, you know, one of my Brandon knows this. He gets sick of me saying it. I'd rather be consistent than right. Right. As a manager, as a coach, because what people want is a consistent understanding of how they're doing, what they're doing and that they they respond to that much better than. You know, just hey, we're the best because you know that's that's a that's a hard thing to quantify, yeah. right? Right. And so I think that that's a, a powerful way to think about it. Plus, if you think about it on a scrum team, you know, Danny's you know specific to what you're doing, like trust. If you can't get trust amongst, by the way, think about what a software development team typically is. You got maybe, and I and I'm just gonna be you know I'll be Graphic here, yeah. An old white guy, you know, two people from India, a woman who's 
just, you know, trying to keep up with the guys who are like, they think they're all that. A scrum master doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, you have this like disparate group of human beings that all have their own point of view, all have prejudices and or cultural values that, that are coming to this and you're trying to get them to work together. Like the only thing that can work, if you just do a simple thing like planning, the only way that planning works is if they trust each other and they know what they can do. Have you ever, Danny, been into planning where they're like, oh, let's do, you know, the, you know, let's just do the poker game on, you know, on sizing stories. And everybody just, and you say one, two, three, go. And they all look at each other and then they see what the other person is doing. And then they all put up the things that the other person is doing. And, you know, they, they don't trust. And, in, and that's why planning is painful. And if you look at a team who's mature... Like, they don't even do it anymore. They're just like, yeah, you got that. He got, he's a sandbagger. He's a hot shot. This is the guy in the middle. We're, we got it. Like, and they know, right? But that's why trust, I think, is, Brandon, to your point, yeah. trust is the thing that yeah. makes a team successful. Trust and sincerity. Yeah. I mean, sincerity is a, another component of that that I think is a little different than just trust. Yeah. Which is, so Danny, I, I have it. One of the teams that I, I've seen, so the, the product owner, we have a non-technical product owner, right? We, in those circumstances, they have to just trust their developers to say, hey, you know what? All the acceptance criteria has been met. Like, the, the product owner may not be able to go in and check logs and, and validate BDDs and do all that type of stuff. They have to, at, at some point, they just got to sit back and say, hey, I trust that you guys, you know, you did a code review, everything looks good, and we can go ahead and pass that story if that's not there, the team is just, they're dysfunctional. They're, they don't want to come into work. I, I, I agree about the trust issues. One of the questions that I've been asking teams recently in, in, in essence, diagnosing how trustworthy are they is the question of uh, do you, does the team engage in healthy conflict? Do you understand what yeah. healthy conflict looks like? Mm -hmm. Because a team that isn't, you know, is just kind of papering over all of the conflict. Yep. They don't understand. Yep. They don't trust one another. Yep. You know, when they tr fully trust one another, then they will say, yeah, all right, we can agree to disagree about this. We can engage in some controversy. Yeah. We, we have a little bit of healthy conflict in this group. So thank you. <laughs> but it's also... <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about but, that. But that's also what you do in your own personal life, right? I mean, it's no different. That's why... No, either One robot the, thing, robot versus I know, real but life. That's my, I'm telling you, why why do you change your human behavior from where you're at home into when you go to work? Like everything's oh well at work everything works just super fine and everything's great and so we'll just go by you know like a robot like no it's exactly the same everything is unknown there's tons of risk there's a lot of failure just like in your person and there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of great relationships yeah. I mean, and, I think part know, of that is, you know, you've, you've gotten out of the home and you're not, you know, under your parents' thumb anymore, maybe, right? Unless you're a millennial and you're maybe still be living in your parents' be uh, basement. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, right. but no. Cou couch surfing. Couch surfing, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just joking with you. But I think there is something to that, which is, you know, yeah, I can act the way, like, in my work life. But then it's, it's, it's oh, I'm getting asked how many widgets did I create or how did I contribute as an individual to the overall goal of the organization? And that's, I think that, well, I'll just kind of wrap this up. In yeah. Terms of, and by the way, let's just do my, so my rant about oh God, no, the, rant. The, Greg rants. Greg's rants. the robot thing actually does come full circle when you say that, because it actually, the people act like robots because 
management treats them like that, and that's why they do that. So that's a new... That's a, that a might be another curve yeah. on my thing. Yeah, that is a little curve. So but you can. That actually makes me think I might be able to get a podcast. Out and of you may be able to send an email to Greg or go. What is it? It's Ga feedback. There actually is G A W feedback at agileafterdark.com. So come on, tell me what you people want me to rant about, and I'll rant all day long. Yep. Yep. He will. He will. So for coaches and trust, I. I think about some of the coaches that I had coming up in sports, you know, playing whether it's basketball or football. These coaches that they're they're not getting paid to do this job, right? They're I don't know, they're not getting paid to coach seventh grade football, right? They're these coaches. Their primary objective, what they were passionate about, was actually developing the individuals, developing their teams. I think a good coach is passionate about helping their team, helping develop their players, get to a get to a level that they would not otherwise be able to get to on their own, right? So I think coaching is really a mentality, and, and it, it's it's a way of thinking. If you don't sincerely care about your team, if you don't want them to succeed, should you be a coach? Yeah, and that's, you know, and I think and around this table, I think everyone except for Mary Ga, like, really, you know, believes in that sort of principle of coaching. Um, he's basically like, hey, I'm going to, like, Say little things, and then hopefully they don't realize they don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, all kidding aside, I mean, I think that the idea of the having teams over it now being individuals, it's a, it's a long run. It's not going to happen immediately. You know, we talked about the transformation stuff. We've talked about whether it be performance reviews, whether it be, you know, how management accepts, you know, outputs as being actually working things versus dashboards. Uh, how we talk about, you know, teams understanding a vision that actually is laid out there, you know, in a way that inspires them. I think there's a lot of those things that have to kind of come together. But I think as coaches, we can, we've done a, a good job of articulating. We've identified, you know, the MVPs that are different now than maybe they were before in the teams that we've had. So where, where I was going with that is if you are – if I was trying to end the show, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, Danny, the show is done. <laughs> but go it, ahead, go add ahead. what you want. We're yeah. happy to be yeah. here. You know what? We're a team, Danny. Yeah. So we're here yeah. behind yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Stop trying to beat Terrell Owens. Right. <laughs> um, I was going to say, so if you, if you are actually vested and interested in developing individuals and teams, your players will know that. They'll feel that. And that's where the trust, that's where trust develops. They're like, hey, this coach has an interest in, in developing me. I can feel that. And so that's mm-hmm. where the team morale starts to improve. You have a coach that's really, really interested. They'll feel that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, it's and, the consistency part. Is yeah, and, you know, and even though we have an oxygen leak in Apollo 13 right now, yeah. as Brandon mentioned before, <laughs> we're all going to die. Although the cats seem to be fine. Yeah. So yeah. somehow they're surviving. But um, I think it's time to wrap it. If you want to say, right, Brandon, I think it's been a thin slice of heaven. It is. It has. So uh, as we said, uh, for the rants, send it to GAW feedback at Agile After Dark. And for all the actual constructive feedback, uh, please send it it to feedback at agileafterdark.com. How teams 
both from an agile perspective. And don't yawn, it's not that boring. I was going to say, are you bored, Danny? No, it's Steve. That, you know, it's it's like, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Why anyway, are you yawning, Steve? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we were, it is after dark, so, you know, the Korean team boys get a little tired. So, anyway. <laughs> I think it had more to do with the quickie, but. Oh! <laughs> Steve, brother! conception of what a team is and how does it apply to today's world whether we're dealing with software or marketing or how is it different from where it came from initially versus just having a group of people doing something in like mind versus the Apollo 13 disintegrating around us Okay, so let me do, let me restart. So let's get a pause so you know where to edit.